0: Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com. Here is this week's teaching. My whole life, I've heard people warn that you have to be really careful about what wood you burn. And I should have listened to their warnings Last year in the winter, we were um, burning a fire in our fireplace. We're running low on wood. So I go out in the backyard and I'm looking for some wood that I can burn. I find a pile underneath our deck of some old lumber and some old uh, fence wood and stuff like that. And I just grab whatever wood I can and I throw it in the fireplace and we burn it. And the weird thing was it stunk really bad. So we tried to put out the fire and it was just smelling up the house and we we didn't like the smell of it. Eventually we, we put the fire out. And then I, that night we go to bed and we wake up to the alarms in our house going off. And the alarms are saying, carbon monoxide, evacuate, carbon monoxide, evacuate. And I'm like, wow, we have some nice alarms. I was even talk to you. And so we wake up, and I'm not all that panicked. I'm just like, okay, it's probably an error. I'm not sure what's going on. But I get up out of bed, and I, I go out to our garage, and I grab a ladder. And I take the ladder to our living room, and I climb up the ladder. And my wife walks in the room at this time and she's a little bit more panicked than I am because the alarms are still going off. And, and she says, what are you doing? And then I looked at the ceiling and there's nothing on the ceiling. And I look at the ladder and I say, I have no idea. She says, why are you up on a ladder? I don't know. What's our plan? I have no idea. And so finally she says, let's get the boys. And so I go to Titus's room and I I grab Titus. He wakes up decently easy. But then I go to Lincoln's room and I'm trying to wake him up and he will not wake up. And Lincoln is not a deep sleeper. But I'm trying to wake him up and he won't wake up. And about this time, my dad, who lives in the lower level of our house, comes up and he says, we need to open all the windows and all the doors and air the house out. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. And the whole time, I'm not all that worried. In hindsight, I now realize Something was going on with my brain. There was some chemical in the air that was not healthy, and it was causing Lincoln not to wake up, and none of us were thinking straight. Like, things that now seem totally obvious that I should have done, steps that I should have taken in that moment, just weren't quite so clear. I mean, I'm climbing a ladder in the middle of my living room for no reason at all while my family is in their bedrooms dying, not thinking too clearly. And I think this is the way a lot of us live our lives, right? I mean, we're walking around in life just doing things. There's all kinds of things going wrong, and there's all kinds of pain. We're just walking through, doing our routines, doing the... I think the reality is we are all high on the fumes of normalcy. We just don't even... We cannot comprehend the big picture. We're just kind of going with the flow because that's what we do, Right? We look at the way everybody else is living their lives, and we assume, well, they must be smart, so I'll just do everything the way they do. I'm sure they're managing their time wisely, so I'll just do it the way they do it, because that's just the way we do it. I'll just go with the flow. Everyone else is in debt, I'll be in debt. Everyone else is incredibly busy, I'll be incredibly busy. Everybody else is incredibly selfish, I'll be incredibly selfish. I guess that's just the best way, because it's normal. I'm saying, are we high? This is dumb. Why are we living this way? This makes no sense. But when your mind is clouded by normalcy, you don't make wise decisions. We all naturally have a desire for acceptance. We don't want to be different. We just want to be part of the group. We want to fit in so often, our desire for acceptance makes us try to just go with the flow. I want to look like that. Oh, this style changed. I'll just change with it. I'll just look like everybody else. It doesn't, I don't know. I don't care if it's, I should look that way or should wear that kind of clothes or I should do that kind of thing or I should act that way or take that drug or do that thing. I don't care about what's right or wrong. It's just, this is what's accepted now. So I'll just, I'll just go that way. The problem is, fitting in will make you invisible. It will make you a lemming, just one of the crowd. You're not going to make a big impact. You're not going to make a big splash. You just kind of fit in and play your role and don't make any waves because it's easier this way. If you're just like everyone else, then you will never become the person that God created you to be because he didn't make you just like everyone else. So do something different. Do something risky. Do something that you were called to do. And that's the story of the early church. And they've got thousands of years of tradition of this is how we do religion and this is how we get saved. We do the sacrifices. We go along with the temple system and we go, we just follow the leader of the Pharisees, the the religious leaders. We, We just go with the flow. The early church says, actually, we found a better way. We found out that it's not about what we do. It's it's not about works. It's not about following the law. We found out that we can be saved by grace, everybody. This is a better way. And they sold out to it. They gave themselves to it. They said, you know, we're we're not distracted by normalcy. We're not clouded anymore. We see the truth. We see the right way. We see the right path. And they sold out to it the high council, the religious leaders, called in the apostles and had them flogged, whipped, tortured, violently tortured. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. You you can go with the flow, but don't use that name. Don't say the name of Jesus. That's heresy. That's, that's different. We don't like different. We, we have control in the old system. Don't try to give us a new system. Don't use that name. So the apostles chose the harder path. In the business world, we, we call it entrepreneurship, doing something different. I see an idea. I, I see a better way. I have an idea for how to change things, and they go after it. It's when you decide that you're not going to just go with the flow you're going to create something new. You're going to make a better way. But it's hard, right? I'm sure there's some entrepreneurs watching today. You've been through pain as a result, right? It's hard to build something new. So how did the apostles respond to being tortured? The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of of Jesus. And every day in the temple, every day, and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. What name did they use? Jesus is the Messiah. Don't use that name. When you start something new, when you try to blaze a new path, You'll you'll usually face more no's than yeses. You're going to see more opposition than support. If you choose not to just go with the flow, there will be painful consequences to that decision. But the pain will eventually lead, if the plan is right, If you're in God's will, if if, if the circumstances are correct, if, if you're skilled correctly and you have the right resources for the plan that you made, the pain will eventually lead to reward. This world wants you to be a mindless consumer so you can support their mission. We'll just narrow down all the political issues to some Catchy phrases, and we'll try to categorize you all as two people, so that we can control you. And if if we can make you just two lump groups of people, and and, and narrow everybody down to voting groups, then we can control you all as groups. It's way too messy to try to control individuals and people who have ideas and opinions of their own. We'll just try to control you together. We just try. We just got to make you a mindless consumer. That you just follow. They just want you to shut up and buy our stuff. Make me rich. And if you just lay down and do it their way, it's easier, right? And for many of us, it becomes an escape. It's a temporary escape, but it's an escape. They're, they're offering you something up front. They'll give you a little taste of something good, and you'll recognize that that tasted good, that felt good. I, I think I'll just keep buying that, or I think I'll keep consuming that, or, or indulging in that. And so you continue to do that, but what they've actually done is they've got you on a hook. They baited you into a new habit that actually will make your life worse, but now you're controlled by them. We take it as a temporary escape but it becomes a captor. We become slaves to it. Initially, it's easier, but it causes more pain. Because when you blaze your own trail, you have to deal with growing pains. You don't have immediate satisfaction. You don't see results and good things happening right away. That's delayed. The pleasure isn't up front, it's at the end. So they'll put pleasure up front and say, see, look how great it is, just follow me, just follow my mission, just fall in line, be a lemming. When you do something new, when you choose entrepreneurship, you gotta do things like raise capital, you gotta cast vision, you gotta change people's minds, you've gotta recruit followers, you've gotta create systems, Ah, systems, I hate systems. Can't we just rely on the old systems? Can't we just do things the old way? Launching a business is sexy, right? But managing it, gross. Well, some of us think so. Others of us like that junk. And actually, that systems creation process, that's kind of the story of Acts Chapter 6. It goes like this. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, so the movement is growing, it was launched, it did well, people are buying into the mission, it's growing, but there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. It's not fair. Who's going to feed me? They're getting more food than I am. He's making more money than I am. She got the better office than I did. She got the better job than I did. It's not fair. If we got any managers in the room, you can relate to the apostles in this time. And when the problems surface and and when growing pains happen, the apostles made a strategy. What did they do? They realized That we apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. Now, feeding hungry people is important, but it is not as important as the primary mission. They said, we gotta keep the main thing the main thing. We need somebody to feed the hungry people, but even those who are feeding the hungry people need to know that their main purpose in life, their main priority is still to preach the good news, to preach the gospel. We are all called to serve, and we are all called to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. They're saying evangelism comes first. So, so what was the system that they created? delegation. In this instance, they picked seven guys to distribute the food to the widows. And they didn't just pick some nobody guys. This was a very important job. They picked, they picked some guys that, that had some skills. They picked good communicators. They picked great leaders to oversee this job, to see this important role. And what happened as a result? So God's message continued to spread. They, ha- they managed the system wisely and good things resulted. And the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. If you handle a system issue well, then the business will continue to grow. But if the system's issue defeats you, then everything else falls apart. It's messy. It's the day-to-day management. But it's necessary. And a good system shortens the road to the goal. The distance between where I am and what I wanna be, a system gets me there. It's the path. They're like the bridge. And I feel like, honestly, this many times this is the story of my life. I love to charge new mountains. I love to, to to go after new ideas and big dreams and big plans. But then there's all these valleys between me and the mountains that I want to charge. All these details that got to be taken place in the meantime. Patrick Lencioni says that there are six types of working genius. And he says everyone has two of these geniuses. So when we look at the apostles delegating to these seven people who would oversee feeding of the widows, we recognize some different skill sets at play in this scenario. So while I'm listing these six types of working geniuses, would you watch and see which two of these you have? You have two of them. Two of these skill sets are you have more than the other four. So watch this and see which ones you have. The first one is wonder. And these, these are uh, six things kind of in a circle, they just kind of lead to each other. One leads to the other, leads to the other, leads to the other. The first one is wonder. That's the idea person. It's the person who refuses to go with the flow. I see a better way. I'm not clouded by normalcy. I've got an idea. And they come up with ways to make things better or to, ch- to pursue new ideas, to launch new initiatives. And then there's Invention. This is the person that can take the idea from the wanderer and come up with a way, invent a way to make their idea happening happen. I was reading about the guy who invented zero. And I was like, thanks for nothing. And then there's discernment. This person comes up with problems that might arise. So somebody invents a solution. The discernment person comes along and says, well, let's get realistic here. We've got a process now to build this new initiative, but we're going to make the idea more realistic. Here's what could possibly go wrong. Then there's galvanizing. These are the cheerleaders of the initiative. They're, they're the recruiting people. They're, they're, the, they're, they're the champions of the cause. They're going to get people on board. Then there's enablement. These are the delegators. They assign responsibilities to people. They make sure that everybody's doing the things that they're skilled to do. I've always known that my wife is really indecisive. She's not quite so sure. She hasn't made up her mind about that one or not. So I've told my wife, hey, listen, babe you can just delegate all decisions to me. I'll just take them all. You don't ever need to make another decision. I'll just lead us in this way, sacrificially. Then there's tenacity. These are my favorite. These are the people who will do whatever it takes to get the job done. Like all these other people came up with ideas and they came up with plans. The tenacity person is like, pull up the sleeves, let's get to work, we got some work to do, and we're not going to stop until it's done. So which one are you? Everyone's got two, and when we recognize that we were all created uniquely, we all have a calling on our lives, then it helps us to know, okay, this is what I'm good at, maybe that will help me to understand my role. Because there are people in ministry who have just said, you know what, I'm going to be a supporter. I recognize that somebody else is going to do the preaching. I'm not going to do the preaching, so let me figure out a way to support the preacher. I recognize that somebody else is going to teach in the classroom, so I'm not going to be a teacher. That's not really my place, but let me figure out how to make it possible for them to teach better. Let me play my role. Let me figure out how I can stock the curriculum or, or make, do creative things that will help them to teach better. I lead a staff of people that are all across this and all, all up and down these skill sets and, and each of them have different abilities and how unwise would it be to make us all do the wondering part? And at some point, we have to say, you know what, we all have a role to play. We got a big mission of growing the church, of leading people to Jesus, of preaching the gospel, but it's gonna take all of us doing our part to make that possible. One of the men that the apostles delegated feeding the widows was a guy named Stephen. You've heard of Stephen. We're going to talk about him more next week. But Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power. He performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Not the least of which was making the women happy. Amazing miracle. But one day some men from the synagogue of freed slaves as it was called started to debate with Stephen. So his job is feed the widows, right? So even the people that the apostles delegated to keep the ma- uh, to to keep to feed the ladies, they even kept the main thing the main thing. Even Stephen is evangelizing. Even Stephen who's a feeding the ladies, is preaching the gospel. In other words, we're all, it doesn't matter what your individual task in the big mission is, we are all called to be evangelists. We're all called to be a witness of what we've seen and heard, to tell the good news of Jesus's love and grace. If you look at the reason why the early church grew, you will recognize it's because they knew that they were all called to serve. Everyone played a part. Stephen didn't use his job as an excuse to teach people, about, to not teach people about Jesus. So often in life, we get distracted by all the things that we have to do that we forget what's really important. We forget the big picture. We're climbing ladders in the living room while our kids are dying in their bedrooms. We see so many battles that we can fight and, and we see that well I could fight this political battle or I could fight this battle at the school or I could fight this on the battle on the football field and I could fight to make sure the refs are calling that kindergarten flag correctly, and we we'd fight every battle that we can think to fight think to fight. And when we have the main thing the main thing, when we see the big picture, when we're not clouded by normalcy, then eventually we realize I'm going to have to pick my battles wisely. I can't fight them all. And if you are a child of God, you are a minister. You have one primary mission. And you are. if you are going to do your job in life, you, you, you play your role. As you're called to serve, you are also called to share your faith and lead people to Jesus. Your personality type is not a pass on whether or not you can share your faith or not. We're all called to it. Introverts, extroverts, whatever you happen to have on your working geniuses. And what happened as a result? None of them, none of these religious leaders could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. In other words, the Holy Spirit spoke through him. What do we know about Stephen? Acts says that he was a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. He, in a way, he was speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit was speaking through him to these people. Faith and the Holy Spirit. Th- those same two things are available to us as well. This is what happens when we create something great, when we start something new, when we're totally reliant on Jesus. Jesus entrepreneurship. It's this. When uh, Apple announced that they were releasing a giant iPhone called the iPad, I thought, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. Why would anybody want a giant phone that you can't put in your pocket? It's not a computer. It doesn't have a keyboard. You can't type papers on it. Why would anything, anybody want this thing? But 500 million iPads have proven me wrong. And that's Stephen in Acts chapter 6. The naysayers are proven wrong. Have you ever been so passionate about something that you are willing to stake your reputation on it? Like, I know this is going to work. I'm going to go after it. Right after I graduated college, my uh, older brother, Billy, and I moved to Kansas to plant a church. And we were confident. We were going to take nothing and create something. We were going to build a giant church, and people were going to come to the Lord. Amazing things were going to happen. It was going to be super missional, and we were going to serve people, and all these great things were going to happen. So we raised money. We, We called it Sojourn Fellowship. And all the logos and church buildings and set up and tear down. And three years of literal blood, sweat, and tears and tons of money. Everything we could do. Knocking on doors, door to door. Everything we could do to grow this new mission. Because we were convinced this is the way. And three years of hard work. And finally we called it quits. We'd run out of money run out of energy, run out of people. And finally, we just said, enough is enough. And I got pretty mad at God through that season, and we had a really hard time of, of wrestling with why God would let this happen. And as I look back on it, the only way that I can say that that time was not a failure is to say it's because we learned something. And we did learn something. I look back on it now, I'm like, wow, we were dumb. We tried some things, and we, 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 we had some pretty bad strategies. But we didn't know it at the time. We did what we could. We tried our hardest. It is a mistake to say that when you are starting something new or when you are taking a risk that it will always succeed because that's not the case. There are too many var- variables. At some point, you're going to try something and fail. But it's worth it to fail because from that, failure we, from that failure, we will learn and we will grow and we will become better. We'll do more the next time. We'll be able to accomplish more the next time. We'll have stories to share, testimonies to share about what God did in that time. So just because failures happen, it doesn't mean we stop trying. It means we learn and we move on because we recognize that history favors risk takers and forgets the timid. New life is pregnant. Church 307 is pregnant. Growth is happening. And I don't know if there are many things more risky than pregnancy. My wife and I have experienced miscarriages. We've, we went through all the emotions of nine months of terrified, is this baby going to be born healthy? R- pregnancy is incredibly Risky. But we believe that God is going to use it, no matter what it is, to do amazing things. I believe with all my heart that God has us here for a reason. And no matter what the risk, no matter what it takes, I am all in. I want to end today with an update from the Ragsdales. Many of you know that the Ragsdales are one of the missionaries that we support. And they are missionaries in Papua New Guinea doing awesome things, and we're incredibly excited to see how God is using them, but also we see they're doing some really hard things. They just, uh, this last two weeks ago, um, three weeks ago, had an earthquake in Papua New Guinea, just trashed their house. I mean, you should see their kitchen. It is incredibly sad. And the the Ragsdales are going through all of this in an environment that's just totally foreign to them, trying to learn a language, trying to meet new people. I mean, they're brand new there. It's difficult. This earthquake happens, but just before the earthquake, they sent us this update. They've said, we've returned from our village living experience. It was quite the experience living without electricity and running water in a culture so different than our own. What an honor and privilege it was to be invited into their life for a month. We even had a freshwater river flowing into the ocean that we bathed in not more than 100 yards away. Our host family, they say family, F-E-M-I-L-I, that must be a Papua New Guinea thing, I don't know. Our host family taught us how to cook over a fire, how to wash clothes and dishes in the river. And they helped us learn the language and were so patient with us. We had many hard and challenging moments where we wanted to give up and go home, but overall it was a great experience, and we were so grateful to have the opportunity to do it. There is just something so humbling about stepping into an entirely different culture. All our previous knowledge and life experience were nearly useful in this environment. We suddenly no longer knew how to wash clothes and cook food because we didn't have a washing machine or a stove. We were sad to say goodbye to our village family, but we were also anxious to get back and settled into our routine that then resulted in an earthquake. We hope to visit the village as often as we can. Do we love the Ragsdales or what? I mean, they, they are awesome. And I'm not saying that you're called to move to Papua New Guinea or some other crazy place to be a missionary, but you're called to something And it's going to be a little bit risky. What is it? What are you called to? There are some people who are listening to me today that would say, Mike, you're way ahead of me. I am called to something risky, but it's not giving myself to the mission of the church. It's just I got to become a part of the church. The risky step for you will be putting your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, died on a cross so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could be adopted into his family and become his child. And it sounds a little bit risky to say you're going to make him Lord of your life. You're going to let him do with you what he will, that you will entrust him with your life. But it's a risk worth taking, and it's one that can't fail. If you will give yourself to him, then he 100% of the time will forgive you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Come as you are, and he will cleanse you of your sins and all your unrighteousness and adopt you into his family, make you his child. You are loved unconditionally. So take that big, scary leap and say yes to Jesus. If you're ready to make a commitment and say, yes, I'll follow Jesus, would you tell us today Go to connect.church307.com and let us know that you're ready to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no greater journey that you can take. Do it today. Jesus, I thank you that you've called us to something great. And even though in the beginning it seems scary and it seems hard, the reward is more than we can comprehend. God, I thank you for your promise of grace, your promise of forgiveness. I thank you for the sacrifice that makes it possible. God, I pray for those today who are listening to this who have gotten stuck in the routine of normalcy, who've become accustomed to the day-in, day-out consumerism and keeping up with the Joneses and all the sporting events and everything that's going on. I pray that today you would give them a beautiful picture, a big picture of what you're doing in the world and how they can be a part of it. God, we love you and thank you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.